0: Apoptosis going mad, my liver's gonna fail. Maybe it's from the radium I use to paint my nails. Well, say you hate me, carbon date me, throw me in the sea. I'll be back with time because I'm made of stardust and chemistry. Of stardust and chemistry. Welcome back to Cowboy Chemistry. This is part two about the Haber-Bosch process. My guest for this episode, uh, is the same for part one, Selena Martinez. She is, uh, a local comedian and official head of Laugh Hub City. Um, so follow them on Instagram and all the Facebook places. Facebook and Twitter. Um, yeah. If you want to go ahead and drop your handle, I guess, since we're talking about it. <laughs> yeah, uh, my Twitter handle is Selena Whatever's with a Z. My Instagram is SelenaWhatever, I think. And then you can just add me on Facebook with my regular name. Although I probably won't add you if I don't know who you are. Fair enough. <laughs> so, uh, part one, uh, we set the stage for what's so special about nitrogen. Uh, how most nitrogen on Earth is um, inert because it's in the atmosphere. Um, and it needs to be in, put into a fixed form um, that plants, animals, and humans can all use, especially for our very important, you know, proteins... RNA, DNA, that sort of stuff. Um, Traditional farming techniques for most of the world use compost, manure, and nitrogen-fixing plants to enrich soil. Um, And this is a much-needed nutrient. um, Yeah. This much-needed nutrient... um, Totally lost it. The sentence doesn't make any sense, it's a problem. It's basically why you would add coffee beans or like ground coffee to your (laughs) plants. Yeah, so um, yeah, you can add add nitrogen-fixing plants, like you said, coffee grounds, anything like that. Um, And this nutrient was so important that um, during the 20th century, um, or actually that was the 19th century, 19th century, uh, countries would go across the entire world to get fertilizer. So a lot of European nations went to Chile and Peru, which had an abundance of sodium nitrite, nitrate, which became um, as interest not only as fertilizer, but also because we could turn it into potassium nitrate for gunpowder and nitric acid um, for the newly invented high explosives. Um, and then there was a whole war fought between Peru and Chile for the desert and the supply of their sodium nitrate, which was inevitably won by Chile. Um, and in the end, the desert supply also started to run dry, and those that were paying attention started to call for scientists to figure out a way to create fixed nitrogen from the inert nitrogen in the air. So, um, we finished with the first person to attempt to do this, which was Wilhelm Ostwald, um, which after his failure, he compared the search for fixed nitrogen to the search for the Philosopher's Stone, calling it a cursed endeavor, um... Yeah, So, we're now going to get to one of the names that is called, you know, the Haber-Bosch process. We're going to start with Fritz Haber. Um, so, he wanted to break apart that nitrogen-nitrogen triple bond. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, the only known way to do this was to heat it to over a 1,000 degrees Celsius, which is 1,832 degrees Fahrenheit, which is hot enough to melt copper. Mm-hmm. So, for reference. Um so hot that you could not form the ammonia because the heat would then blow the molecule apart again. Oh. So like you had to first of all heat it that hot and then cool it down rapidly, um, in a special platinum kiln to make any amount of ammonia. So like when you're <laughs> when you're blanching greens and you put it in an ice bath immediately, kind of essentially? Yeah, but essentially, but like a million times hotter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess technically, exactly a hundred times, or no, just ten times hotter. It'd be ten times hotter. <laughs> um. Yeah. So uh, he never. So pro- I have to. I have to relate everything to food, otherwise, it doesn't make sense to me. Fair. Yeah. I mean, I'm so like, okay, I can. I know what that is. That's blanching. It's blanching without the water. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. He never produced more uh, any more ammonia um, than his initial result. or sorry, he wrote up his initial results in 1905. And then another chemist named uh, Walter Nernst read that report and he said that Haber was getting more ammonia than was possible and he had his uh, assistant redo it. He was like, this is is bull, Mm -hmm. this is bull, we're going to have this guy redo it. Um, And so... um, Yeah, Nernst was... uh, Once he had his assistant redo it, the assistant found that Nernst was correct and Haber had somehow gotten more ammonia than was predicted by Nernst. Um, And Nernst um, had—Nernst was, like, a really big name at the time. He had a high status as a a scientist, and Haber was still very young in his career. So, of course, everyone was like, oh, well, of course, Nernst is right. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and so—and Haber got really worried and, like, nervous about being questioned by Nernst. Um, So he started rechecking all his data because he was like, you know, if I get checked on this, like my reputation is ruined, essentially. Um, Yeah. And the only difference between the experimental setup for Nernst versus Haber was the pressure. So um, Haber, or Nernst had a higher pressure than Haber did. Um, So Haber employed another young chemist um, Robert Le uh, Rossignol um, I believe I'm saying that right that's a French name um, that had experience with machinery so together they created a new method where they heated the gases in quartz tubes which could handle the heat and pressure um, and with the second set of experiments it was closer to Nernst's results but there were still different um, and then Haber also started testing different catalysts as well so that he could l- lower the temperature and preserve the ammonia because if you could lower the temperature, you'd get more ammonia mm-hmm. um, produced in the reaction. Um, so that was also um, boosting his yields compared to nerds. Mm-hmm. Um And then, in the most dramatic so way he, possible, he's go like ahead. Trying to create like a chemical instant pot, essentially. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes, it's it's very much a pressure cooker situation. Okay. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. Because this whole and this whole episode, we're going to talk about essentially this this whole process was also inventing high pressure chemistry. So uh-huh. before this this process, no one had made high pre- no pressure cooked reactions, uh-huh. um, and so they had to basically invent all the machinery to even do this reaction in the yeah. first place. So like it's chemists, but it's also like you know just regular machinists. Yeah, you know they didn't know anything about the chemistry. They're just like. I need a pot that's going with hang- with right. to hold this much pressure. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. So, and then we'll talk about later, too. The problem, too, was, like, the material. Like, the material that the container is made out of. Because um, high-pressure hydrogen acts differently than low-pressure hydrogen. Okay. And so it basically made... This is a little bit jumping the gun. But it made the containers brittle. And so they had to figure out a way... To stop the containers from getting brittle, uh-huh. because they get it brittle and then they explode, right? <laughs> Which is not generally well. I mean, you want it to explode eventually, just not when you're trying to make the product. Like, why would you, you want, want it to explode eventually? Well, because you, I mean, because what you're making is something that's going to be eventually used in explosives, right? Oh, So you want I the product you. to explode eventually, I, I but like, not I don't think the you machine? Ever want the machine to explode. <laughs> You're making explosives, but you don't want it to be, like, right now. Yes, yes. Um, but before we get to that's that's when Bosch is trying to do his thing. But right now, uh, Haber is just trying to, to do a reaction at Uh-oh. all. So, um, but both Nernst and Haber went to this conference in May of 1907 um, of what's called the Bunsen Society. So it's just a society of chemists in Germany. Um, and... The discussion between them got super <laughs> I've heard heated. that name before. <laughs> I'm smart. Oh.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's so a guy named
0: good. Bunsen, as well as a but who invented the Bunsen burner. We love the Bunsen so. burner. <laughs> um, yeah, and I guess he was also German. I don't actually know that much about Bunsen. He'll probably get an episode eventually. <laughs> um, yeah, so conferences are where things get very dramatic for chemists. Mm-hmm. FYI, because, like, you can personally call somebody out and not in a paper, because um, <laughs> otherwise you're just, like, typing yeah. back and forth. Um, well, not back then, you wouldn't be, t- well, I guess typewriters. No, they had typewriters, yeah. Okay, that's true. Yeah, they had typewriters. Um, this is after just, the printing press. It's okay. not that ancient. No, that, no, I was just thinking, like, <laughs> typing on a computer, that's, I, there's other typing. That happens. <laughs> um, but um, Nernst called Haber's data highly erroneous. Um, and then they shot each other? No, it's, it's. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they faced fought, but no, it, it was all words. It's very gentlemanly, but um, also savage. I love that, like saying "highly erroneous" is like the most offensive thing you could say to a scientist. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's like basically telling the scientists to eat caca. <laughs> um, yeah, because he followed that up by he suggested that Professor Haber now employ a method that is certain to produce truly precise values. God. <laughs> said, you're fake, I'm real, mm-hmm. I keep it 100. <laughs> of course, Haber got pissed and insulted, um, and he returned to his school and buried himself in the research. That's so funny. I yeah. wonder if there's one of those, like, um, they have those, like, historical rap battles or something. I wonder if there's one about these guys. That would be funny. There should be. There yeah. really should be. Um, I'm just trying to think of, like, what rhymes with highly erroneous, though. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I'm not a poet. Wish I had my friend here. Uh, he's a poet. He would yeah. do it. Um, I love those rap battles of history, though. The, yeah. uh, there is one between um, Tesla and... Uh, what's the other guy? I don't the know other I electricity did. guy. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but look, look up the Tesla rap battle, okay. listeners. Okay? Because Tesla won. We'll Tesla's put a great. link in the show notes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um... But yeah, so he and his um, new assistant, or part- I guess a partner, um, uh, Le Rossignol, uh, continued to... <laughs> I just thought, okay, I just thought, um, uh, your results are highly erroneous, your method is highly felonious. Oh, that's, oh, good. Okay, that's good. okay, that's all I got, that's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> that took me way too long. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, but they both continued to increase the pressure of the reaction, managing to lower and lower the temperature. Um, And they began producing ammonia at higher higher rates, more than anyone else managed to do. And so over eight months, they slowly made progress improving their yields, uh, literally altering pressure, temperature, catalysts. Those are the three things. And that will be the three things that they keep messing with the whole time that they try to improve this process. Mm -hmm. Um, And they now had something promising enough that they wanted to turn it into an industrial process. So, like, that's really the goal for a lot of chemists, especially at this period, is like, okay, I've invented something so good, I'm going to give this to industry, industry's going to take it, and then I'm going to cash in a check, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So, but to continue to pursue it, he also needed more money for better equipment, more assistance, new devices, Um, and so uh, he approaches- Started uh, selling drugs. No. Darn it. I mean- it would work. It probably would have work. Um, a lot of people were on cocaine at this period. Yeah, well, there's the a couple things that you can sell in that time period. That's always going to sell. You know, mm-hmm. and drugs is one of them. Yes, that's what I heard. <laughs> I don't sell drugs. I mean, basically everything was legal at that point because, like snake oil salesmen, like yeah. you could sell anything you wanted and claiming yeah. it was anything um, that would cure baldness or cancer. Or mm-hmm. and you could sell anything to that it could do anything. You know. <laughs> So, uh, yeah. I'm surprised he didn't turn into it. Like, I always kind of get confused a little bit with scientists, because I'm like, especially the ones that, like, want to make money. Mm. I'm like, you could put liquor make in a, a jar. Well, you don't even have to make a drug. You can yeah. just pick a drug that already exists yeah. and sell that. Like, it's not illegal yeah. at this time period if you just want to make money. <laughs> I don't the know. The good days when they had cocaine and Coca-Cola. <laughs> yeah. Um, they still have the flavoring of cocaine and Coca-Cola. Did you know really? that? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, they took they take out the actual, like, cocaine, but they still have, like, ingredients from the coca plant. I was going to say, coke doesn't taste like cocaine, but there's a lot of flavors in coke, so I might not be picking up on it. I'm going to have to do a tasting next time, just be like, no, that's caramel. No, that's caramel again. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, like I said, they, take the, they actually take the cocaine... Like, it's the same plant. They just yeah. take that one ingredient out, essentially. the fun part. <laughs> That's the point. Oh, I, let, let them know you're disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Haber approached a friend. Uh, I put friend in quotations in my, um, in my notes because he doesn't seem like a very good friend. <laughs> but regardless, um, his name was Carl Engler. He was a member. Mem- he was a member of the supervisory board for a company called BASF. Okay. So BASF still exists, by the yeah. way. Yeah. Um, it's like a chemical company, right? Mm-hmm. Like- and at the time, it was one of Germany's biggest um, chemical companies. They started out making like dyes for fabric. So right now, they're they're a dye making company. Mm-hmm. Um BASF now does a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and then two like this, B- the BASF. BASF, we're talking about now, um, got combined into IG Farben. And then when IG Farben um, dissolved, you had BASF again. Okay. But, like, BA, IG Farben also, like, had... It's like how corporations work, like, where there's, like, one yeah. head company. Like IG America. Farben was, like, the, yeah. the head company of all like German industry. Like how Pepsi owns, you know, a million other companies underneath it, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because, like, if it's not Coca-Cola... It's brand. Pepsi. it's Pepsi. Yeah. So, yeah, it's exactly that. Um, I'm Team Coca Cola, I must say. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, but I, I'm a Sprite person though. So. Sprite. I guess I'll forgive you. No, I'm just kidding. No, I think <laughs> Sprite is Coca Cola, isn't it? Like it is a Coke product. Yeah. yeah. Um, I say because I think Sierra Mist is the mm-hmm. Pepsi equivalent. It's not as good. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, Sprite is superior. I agree. Uh, a Sprite is superior to Sierra Mist and Coca Cola is superior to Pepsi. Yeah, because a Coke, even if it's like not super ice cold, is still really good. Yes, but like a warm Pepsi tastes like straight foot. Like it does not taste really? good. Really, I never had a warm It like, Pe- just it Pepsi. tastes really bad. Mm. Like you don't want to drink it. But a warm Coke is like meh, it's still good. I come from the land of Mountain Dew. So oh, everyone okay. I everyone I grew up with was was a Mountain was Dew person. Mountain Dew. That's very like. Where did you grow up? Tennessee. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, the Appalachia of Tennessee. Yeah, that makes sense. So, um, yeah, <laughs> Yeah, so... We, it's like, that's a very specific drink. Here, everything is Coke. Even if it's <laughs> orange soda, it's it's Coke. Yeah, everyone drank... It was either Mountain Dew or Dr. Pepper. If you, if you weren't drinking Mountain Dew, you're drinking Dr. Pepper. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was the weird one, because I didn't like it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he writes his friend Carl Anger, Angler... Engler, Engler. <laughs> um, they were both faculty members at the University of Karlsruhe, um, and when Engler, um, Engler basically decided to vouch for Haber, and so he wrote a letter to the head, the rest of BASF, like, you should, you should have this man's mm-hmm. uh, services. But here's here's the excer- excerpts from the letter, um, and why I'm like he's a friend with quotation marks. <laughs> um, yeah, so he says, Mr. Haber is a very busy, cushy man. Personally, I have no interest whatsoever in BASF's <laughs> obtaining Professor Haber's services. Wow. Um, but then he goes on to, like, vouch for his expertise in electrochemistry and continues by saying, because he is not unaware of his own worth and, just like the Ostwald School, would also like to make money, He is, of course, not exactly inexpensive. (laughs) So he's like... Wow, the shade of it all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I don't know what... Uh, Yeah. uh, It's just such a weirdly negative endorsement. I can see his wife, like, behind him when he's writing the letter. Yes, drag him! (laughs) 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 But yeah. Such a backhanded compliment. That's so funny. Exactly. And, like... From what I could tell, it was, it was because he didn't want to seem too eager to hire a Jewish man, because, like, Germany at the time, of course, is very anti-Semitic, um... Only at that time, though. Never again, right? Oh, yeah, you know, it gets bad... No, it doesn't. It only gets worse. <laughs> it um, only gets worse. But, yeah, this was, like, before World War One, and no. so, um, it's kind of very... Well, anti-Semitism is timeless, isn't it? It very much is. I mean... Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Um... It was very much a dual world in Germany at this time, actually, because um, they got a lot of Jewish people were usually treated very much as second-class citizens. Mm -hmm. They weren't allowed to have jobs. They weren't allowed to have a lot of things that um, non-Jewish people would be allowed to have. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, in this time period, actually, though, like they didn't—they had very much equal legal rights. Like if you were talking legally, Mm -hmm. they had equal rights. Um, But of course, like it was more of like a personal. Yeah. personal discrimination, if that makes any sense. And so, it's a very yeah, interesting... very familiar with personal discrimination. Yeah. yeah. It's just very interesting, because, like, a, a lot of people, a lot of Jewish people in Europe ended up moving to Germany in this era, because they, they did... They had equal legal rights. Yeah, and, and a lot of times, they, they were treated a lot better, yeah. you know, especially in, like, Vienna. Vienna was, like, the place to be. Um, but, yeah. And so, like, a lot of people would come in, and they would you know, especially scientists would be working, they would be, um, you know, they could be members of faculty, which was Mm -hmm. not a thing in other places. Um, so, um, yeah. It was just an interesting justification. But it was, like, like it was cool to be friends with them, but you weren't supposed to be, like, real cool with them. Like, so... it's really like a lot of a lot of Jewish people at the time converted to Christianity because oh, okay. if you converted to Christ- like and it, you didn't have to necessarily, mm-hmm. but like that was like the thing was like oh well I'm I'm not Jewish, but you're still Jewish because it's an ethno religion. Yeah, like I like I have a friend who's from a Muslim country, mm-hmm. but he's a Christian now. And if he were forced to go back to his country, he would be ostracized there because he is he converted his religion, but he's still ethnically Muslim. Right, because that's where his, you know, his people are from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and with... Yeah, so it, it's just really kind of an interesting juxtaposition because, like, individually, everyone was still very anti-Semitic. Yeah. Um, but, like, nationally, the policy was was very was very liberal, if that makes yeah. any sense. Um, so, uh, Engler apparently really saw value in what Haber was exploring um, and was really hoping that the head of BASF, uh, Heinrich von Brunk, which, by the way, the most German name I've ever heard. Heinrich von brock Yeah, that's pretty German. <laughs> um, he was hoping he would support this because he had a reputation of gambling and innovating. <laughs> like, he was a gambler, so they're like, <laughs> you should take probably one. do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, BASF, in a lot of ways, was kind of one of the first modern chemical companies because he always kept money flowing into research and development to ensure that the company could maintain its edge over other companies. Mm-hmm. So before this, it was like, oh, I'm a dye-making company. I'm going to stick with doing dyes. Yeah. But, like, this is the first company that, like, really invests in research in this way and, like, continuously innovating. Do the next big thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Which is how all chemical companies now do it, you know? Yeah. Um, Well, and, like, food companies, too. Like, Oreo makes a new flavor, like, every month. It's crazy. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So everything has to be food for me. I'm like, okay, I get that's like Oreos, you know. <laughs> Except you like really M&Ms. don't want to eat the, this. <laughs> have you had the cookie M Ms? Cookie M Ms? Yeah. I don't think they so. Have like a little crunchy part in the middle. So good. I've had the pretzel M Ms. Those are also very good. I like those. A little bit, a little bit of salt. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Um. Yeah, Brunk, like a lot of educated Germans at the time, saw that Germany was uh, very dependent on Chilean nitrates for fertilizer and gunpowder. Um. And they realized that if other world powers, like the UK or the US, decided to block the shipping of nitrate to Germany, they would not only starve, but be defenseless, mm-hmm. right? Um, German soil is not known for being a good soil. Um, and Germany was a very young country at the time, so they didn't have any long-term allies to count on. So like a lot of other countries, like, you know, France and the UK, like they, and even the United States is a lot older than Germany is as a country. Really? Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah, Germany was founded in 1850-something, I think. And we're, I mean, what, 1776? Yeah. So. Um, I didn't know that. But there's been, like, there's been people in Germany longer than there have oh, been. At least uh, white people. Because there were, there were always people in the United States, right? But they weren't. Yeah, so before... colonizers, um, Before Germany was Germany, um, they were... It was, like, the Austro-Hungarian Empire and, um, and something else. I forget what they called, I forget what they called themselves, but, Mm -hmm. like, they had the, it was the Austro-Hungarian Empire, Mm -hmm. and then, yeah. So, um, yeah, 1871. Uh, yeah, before that, they were considered, it was called the Weimar Republic. Okay. So, um... Yeah, So they don't have any allies to help them, like, get the stuff that they need. They pretty much right. have to get it themselves. Yeah, so they ha- have to get it all themselves, and then if they are attacked or something, they have no one to back them up. Though the German military at the time is considered, like, the best in the world. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's not that they're defenseless exactly, um, but if they had another—a bunch of other countries teaming up against them— Yeah. And the other thing is they have, like, no navy, right? Like, there's— Oh, because they, they don't have water. Exactly. They're, yeah. like, mostly a landlocked country. Yeah or maybe an entirely landlocked country. If they do, they only have, like, a little bit of water. Yeah. But, like, they, German, Germany is not known for its navy. Right. <laughs> it's not, it doesn't have beaches, you know? Yeah. So if you have to go to Chile to get this fertilizer, they have no navy to defend the ship coming back. Yeah. So if the UK wanted to take their ship, easy, you done. Just take it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so... Brunk knew that there would be a market for this synthetic fixed nitrogen, right? Because then they could use it for fertilizer, and, uh, you know, if anybody ever goes to war, they can sell it as gunpowder. The issue was finding a way that's cost-efficient to produce that nitrogen. Mm -hmm. Um, So he started trying to find a method of production, um, and this was actually two years before uh, Crooks gave his speech. But, anywho, so BASF uh, is... Trying to be innovative and um, get one-ups on their competitors, mm-hmm. right? And so, uh, the first thing he actually invests in is an electric arc method of creating nitric acid, which is very expensive um, because it it's, it basically uses lightning mm-hmm. to make to make a mon- or to make nitric acid. And it doesn't then, work, does it? It does work. So this is a different thing. Like, okay. So basically, like, because li- lightning in 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 real life, will turn nitrogen and oxygen into nitrous, nitrous oxide in in the upper yeah, atmosphere. Yeah, but it's the inert one, right? Yes, but like I'm saying, like the the lightning strike itself provides enough energy to to react it, right? Oh, okay. So like that's they're basically making artificial lightning, okay, to to make this reaction happen in in a reactor. Um, and of course it's crazy expensive <laughs> it looks super like dangerous. Things, does it look like those things where it's like the little ball of electricity and you put your fingers on the glass and it goes like that? Uh, that's what I'm picturing in my mind that this machine does. I'm like oh you just put your fingers on it. I would not put my fingers <laughs> on it. Um, but yes and I'm sure it looks like that. But I'm like, that's what it, I feel like that's what it looks like in my brain. Yes um, I, I imagine the Tesla coils where it like comes out like, those oh, big ones, yeah. that's what I imagine. Yeah. I, I, I don't think these machines exist anymore, so, like, I've never seen one. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and then they tried to invest in Ostwald's process, right? So that's what we talked about in the last episode, and uh-huh. that didn't work out. Yeah. So they just were starting to get really desperate because they had, like, no successes um, that could make them any money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and so with the recommendation of Carl Engler and a six page research proposal from Haber, um, BASF contracted Haber on March 6th of 1908. Um, and there were two contracts, one that continued the electrical arc process. So they were going to try to keep, keep seeing, if that will work. And then one for, um, Haber's high pressure catalytic method, um, company has got to keep all, got to, gets to keep all the results of Haber's research, including ownership of any patents, and so Haber couldn't publish any of this without approval of BASF. Mm-hmm. So that's the trade-off. Like, he gets money. He got Taylor Swifted. That's not a reference, I know. <laughs> Taylor Swift, uh, the, like, the first, uh, I guess one of the first recording contracts she signed, um, the company owned all of her music. And so she just won, I think she just won, like, in the last year or so, the case over the music company to own her music again, so she's going to remake it. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. Um, I don't think that he's going to, it doesn't seem like he's going to be able to own his stuff, but essentially he got Taylor Swifted. Yeah. Um, he does get 10% of any profits that BASF makes from his process. Yeah. So well, that's Taylor a pretty still good makes deal. makes money off of her concerts. I'm just kidding. No, I, yeah, I mean, yeah. how do I keep relating this to things that I understand? <laughs> <laughs> it's good though. This is what you're this is what you're here for, because like I don't I don't know this about Taylor Swift, but somebody listening will, <laughs> and they'll be like, oh, I get that. I can make things relatable. Um. <laughs> um, yeah, and the other thing that Haber really liked is that he got to keep his position at the university, so he gets to stay being a professor. He gets a check, uh-huh. um, and of course, he gets more money for his research. Uh-huh. So, with the money, they built a next generation of reactors, which was uh, a quartz vessel with an iron jacket, um, and this allowed the reaction pressure to increase to 100 and then 200 atmospheres. So, essentially, that means, like, an atmosphere is, like, how much pressure the atmosphere ex- exerts on the uh-huh. at sea level, and so it's they increased it to 200 times that. So, oh, that's a lot. Okay. <laughs> um, And they optimize other parts of the machine, including preheating the gases in a circulatory system. Um, They managed to lower the temperature. So now it's at 600 degrees Celsius instead of 1,000 degrees um, without decreasing the yields. So they're still producing the same amount of ammonia. Um, And finally, they focused in on the catalyst. So that became, like, the key thing that they were trying to do. Mm -hmm. Because if they can get the catalyst to work, then... Um, everything else is starting to look good, right? Um, and catalysis is, again, still like a brand new concept at this time. So Oswald tried iron, and we know that didn't work out very well. Haber tested nickel, magnesium, platinum, and none of those worked. So he went on to rarer elements. And then one year later, in 1909, he had a breakthrough when he tested osmium. Osmium? Um, is that a metal? Yes. Um... And the amount of ammonia spiked, so they of course were like super excited, and they hey, ran it again, and they got the same thing. What what do people use osmium for? I honestly, I know, I know we still use it in some catalysis. Um, but it's not—you're not gonna buy like a chain that's osmium. No, no, it's a fairly rare metal. Um, oh, maybe you should buy a chain that's osmium. If it's pretty rare. I mean, yeah. It is used to produce very hard alloys for fountain pen tips, oh okay, uh, instrument pivots, needles, and electrical contacts. Got that osmium? Okay. Osmium has sense. no known biological role. That's a fun fact. It uh, like it doesn't and then, do anything in your body. It, yeah. Essentially, you don't need osmium to live. Yeah. Because I know we need like iron, right? Magnesium. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we need iron, magnesium. I'm trying to think. The other metals we have in our body, <sniffs> calcium. I don't know, we have to ask Magneto. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know it's X Men, right? That's yes. No, I, I know who I know it's I was is. like, okay, I just it was couldn't... bad. It was bad. It's okay. It's a bad show. <laughs> I just. I'm sure he would know, though. I'm sure he would know. So the thing, though, is like I, and this is a question I always have about how his power works, though, is it. Does his word is his power just ferromagnetism, or is it a magnetism? Does it make a difference? Oh, I don't know. I'm not a. I'm not an expert. Anything param? Can he control anything paramagnetic? Because then he can control oxygen too. I don't think so. It's got to be ferromagnetism, right? Because it's, like, only certain metal things that he can really mess with. Yeah. Right? So, I think it's ferromagnetism, but they never make that clear. (laughs) (laughs) Inquiring minds need to know. This is the next conspiracy. Yes. Um, It's x where you're just, like, trying to figure out (laughs) (laughs) the conspiracies behind the X-Men. Yes. Also reminds me of um Avatar. Or like, like the water which avatar, <laughs> uh, the last the airbenders. Okay, yeah, the benders. Um, so like some of the the water benders can also bend blood. Yeah, I wonder too why some of the earth benders can't also bend blood. Right, and I've heard that as a theory. Um, because arguably they should like, or at least the metal be benders should be able to do it, right? Like, yeah, which metal benders are earth benders, right? right? Like yeah. not all earth are metal benders. Right. but yeah, if you're a metal bender, why wouldn't you also be able to? bend blood because yeah. like there's, there's got to there be enough content. iron in there. Yeah, and like even if you couldn't blend bend the whole liquid, like you should be at least able to get the metal out, which yeah. would be really messed up. Yeah, <laughs> but, like arguably they should be able to do it, right? right. That's what I would think. <laughs> which I mean, blood bending in that show is also really messed up. Really <laughs> like that's, it's really freaky. <laughs> so, um, but maybe they just didn't want to go that dark with it. But it's also <laughs> like, are you just blood bending, or are you bent? Because aren't aren't we all like what is it like 70% water or something mm-hmm. so couldn't you bend anybody like does it have to be specifically the blood no I mean but like but that's just probably like, like technologically the is why like... like technology wise like they yeah. they think of like the blood as the water that makes sense because like they're basically like turn of the people century like, people like yeah but, but I wonder like if if benders were real like if you could make people throw up but yeah, when Haber had this breakthrough with Osbium, he did what any scientist would do, and he ran down the hallway um, to his colleague's lab, and he was just like, we got ammonia, you gotta come look! And so they all came down to his lab, and they were just, like, amazed to find little liquid ammonia collecting in a, in a flask. Like, uh-huh. there was just, like, little drips of ammonia coming into this flask, and they were all like, ooh. <laughs> and it was like a quarter teaspoon of yeah, liquid. And like, like, just, like, excited out of yeah. their minds. Um and decades later they talked to this scientist and he said, I can still see it. There was about a cubic centimeter of ammonia. It was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and this probably sounds really anticlimactic, but Can you imagine like these men going home to their I'm assuming they're all men. At this for yeah. the most part. Yeah. yeah. I think everyone Can you imagine involved. them like going home to their wife and just like excitedly explaining what happened? She's like, that's great. I'm here breastfeeding your eighth child. Like <laughs> I don't care. Yes. Because like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think all of these were men because uh, the first, I think Liza Meitner uh-huh. would probably be the next, the first woman, because I think, let me think, because uh, right now I think the biggest... Well, she's, is she before or after Marie Curie? Marie Curie comes first, because okay. I was going to say, Marie Curie is probably like right now, like uh-huh. same same time period, and then uh, Liza Meitner comes right out like... But Liza Meitner did mostly uh, chemistry? So, Liza Miner was a physicist, okay. but she does she does radi- radiation, and um, radioactive um, research at the time was very interdisciplinary, so they had a lot of physicists and a lot of chemists working on it, and uh-huh. it was so, it was very, like I said, interdisciplinary, so uh-huh. it was kind of like, um, like, she worked with a chemist, Otto Hahn, and they worked together, so, like, she did a lot of chemistry research, but she, by training, is a physicist, Okay, if that makes any yeah. sense, because, um, like, she discovered elements, Along with Otto Hahn. So, okay. um, she did chemistry stuff. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, she should have won, an, again, and she should have won a Nobel Prize for... But she was a woman. Yes. So, but and Otto Hahn got it by himself. Um, which infinitely... Yeah. Makes everyone angry. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, at least with Rosalind... At least with Rosalind Franklin, she had passed away, so she couldn't have won the Nobel Prize at the time. But Liza Meitner was <laughs> is alive. <laughs> Isn't like, uh her husband was up there like, oh, yeah, I want to give all this credit to my wife. Like, there's no way. Well, they weren't married. I thought it was her. She. So that's she, Marie Curie. Okay. Marie Curie and her husband were a team. Oh, OK. OK. But that's the only team I can think of. And then in that point, though, and he did demand that she win the Nobel Prize with him. Uh-huh. Like, she probably would not have won the Nobel Prize if if her husband wasn't like, oh, no, she's in this too. Yeah. So, he did stand up for her. Give him some credit. He, he was a good dude. Okay, good. Um, no, I like him. No, Liza Miner and Otto Hahn, they never got married. Okay. Um, and Otto Hahn stole the Nobel Prize. Like, he probably could have been like, oh, give the Nobel Prize with Liza Meitner, and he didn't. Just like a man, taking a credit, taking credit for a woman's work. Yeah. So, um, yeah. The machine was about tabletop size. So when it scaled up, there was, like, a lot of potential. And so BAS, BASF was very happy with this, and they started buying up as much osmium as they could find. Um, but this created, like, a buzz and a debate a bait in the higher-ups at BASF because creating a large-scale reactor that could reach 600 degrees and 200 atmospheres would explode. Like, they have no technology that could make this big of a a big reactor that could handle this, this kind of conditions. Uh Um, Plus osmium was super rare and costly. Um, And then how long would the osmium be good for? Like how, how many times could I reuse the osmium? They Mm -hmm. didn't know. Um, And some thought that Haber's machine was a death trap because it would explode, which they're not wrong. They are not wrong on that one. That's a good point. Um, And so they sent their man, Carl Bosch, the one who tested Oswald's device, Mm -hmm. um, to see what he thought of the machine. Um, And by that point, Bosch had been working on the nitrogen fixation project for eight years. Mm -hmm. So he was working on, like, the lightning side of it. Um, And he proved that he, you know, because of his other work, he proved that he was willing... Um, to rigorously question the results of chemical giants, because Oswald had a very big reputation. And so they were like, well, he's going to tell us the truth. Like, he's not going to just tell us that this guy did good work just because he has a good name, you know, which Haber didn't really have a good name at the time anyway. But it doesn't matter. They they thought he was a good dude. Um, And so um, they sent him, and no one like I said, no one had created a machine that had that much heat and pressure combined Um, they needed huge gas compressors, heat recirculators um, a cooling apparatus and they needed to produce large amounts of nitrogen and hydrogen gas the scarcity of osmium they were like, this is just a bad project all around, basically Mm -hmm. Um, but um, Bosch ends up convincing them that he thinks they should do it he thought it was their best shot at making this project work so he was like, do it. Um, and so Bosch starts backing this project. And he um, he's put in charge, essentially, even above Haber. And he starts recruiting other research- researchers to enlarge and improve Haber's machine. Um, like, a, one guy was Alwin Mittosh. And he was put in charge of finding a better catalyst. So one that wasn't as expensive. Mm. Um, preferable, you yeah, know, one more abundant. Um, they had an engineer, Franz Lape um was recruited for machine design and they started patenting everything and they had a team on hand to file patent paperwork and deal with all the legal matters. Like yeah. they were like, I invent a new thing, you know, patent it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um Uh, The original machinist guy, Le Rossignol, uh, accepted a letter for a position at another firm, and he just, like, dips out of the project. Um, Haber ends up seeing an opportunity to renegotiate um, his deal (laughs) that he had with BASF. And so 18 months after he signed the original contract, BASF and Haber signed a new contract that guaranteed an income of 23,000 marks a year. Um, which at the time was a lot, plus a portion of every kilo of ammonia produced. So he got a salary and whatever else they uh-huh. produced, you know. Um, and BASF wrote into the contract that they resented that Haber did not keep to their original deal. <laughs> and that... They're like, we're going to do this, but we don't like it. Yes, and that in the future, we would want to set certain limits to Mr. Haber's somewhat unrestrained ideas. Wow. <laughs> he's doing all the work though just give him what he wants he's gonna make your company a lot of money he did all the work now and now he's about to dip oh so now Bosch gets a He's like that's still my stuff though bye yeah he's like you can't publish this without me you can't (laughs) patent this without me nice um so now Bosch gets the project so he is Taylor Swift now Like, Taylor Swift now owns all of her stuff. Like, she owns phrases, too. Like, phrases in her song. Uh, She owns the phrase, this sick beat. You can't say that in a song or, like, in a movie without paying her. Do I need to, like, bleep that out of this? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) She will sue. She's crazy. She sues everybody. She's not crazy. Like, she just... But she owns a lot of stuff. Like, um... What's that song? Uh, Shake It Off. She owns that phrase. Um... It's a good thing this podcast makes no money because she can't sue us like, this is educational. She yeah. can't, like, it's, I think they call it fair use clause. Right. <laughs> so I don't think I have to take it out. But There's, we'll a bit, like, a lot of phrases in her songs, she owns. Mm-hmm. So you can't use them. Yeah, And, like, if you have a, I knew this uh, this couple that, they were, like, a YouTube couple or whatever, they got married. I don't know them, but I knew of the story. Okay. Um, they got married and they put their video, their wedding video, online. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they only had it online. They didn't have the I guess, like, a digital copy of it anymore, Mm -hmm. and Taylor Swift had it taken down, or at least Taylor Swift's, whoever manages her property, I guess, had it taken down, and now they don't have their wedding video anymore. They don't have it at all? No. (gasps) That's awful. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Oh, that's heartbreaking. But also, don't use a Taylor Swift song. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Use a Stevie Nicks song. She won't. She'll let you keep it. She doesn't care. Yeah, use... There's... I forget which band it is, but there's one band that has an album called Steal This Album. <laughs> the Coup. It's The Coup? Okay. I think so. Okay, yeah. I, I didn't, wasn't sure, so I was... But yeah, I, it's called Steal This Album, yeah. and I'm like, I love that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's The Coup. Um, but yeah. We'll anyway, Howard. to know for sure. Howard dips. Bosch now has a blank check, so he can get anything he needs for the nitrogen project. Um, oh, it's it's System of a Down. Oh, okay, okay. Um, yeah. It became one. clear to the head of BASF, Heinrich von Brunk, um, had had took on um Bosch as like a protege. So like, um, Brunk was like, oh, this is gonna be the guy who gets the company after me. So um, they were both like really gam gam like they were both gamblers, both really ambitious. Um. And both really liked the nitrogen project, so mm-hmm. they were like, they were, became really buddy buddy, um, and they really understood the need to that they needed to be like constantly innovating the company if they were going to succeed in the chemical industry. Like because mm-hmm. this is when the chemical. industry So they industry were like a Dr. Forming. Dre Eminem team mashup kind of thing. I, I'm gonna say sure because I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And Haber was very much, like, the chemist to Bosch's chemical engineer. So, like, what I say about chemists and chemical engineers is, like, chemists invent a process. Chemical engineers make it big. Right? So Bosch is now making it big. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's actually, like, Dr. Dre and Eminem. Because Eminem is the one who really brought rap music to, like... I mean, it was always on the radio, but it was Mm -hmm. mostly, at the time like, for black people. And then Eminem was really the one that kind of busted it open for, like, you know, middle America white people kind of situation. So it's exactly like that. Yeah. Because Eminem is the one that made it kind of blow up. Mm Mm-hmm. Bosch is bringing ammonia to the people. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And Dr. Ray is the one that's making the beats, you know? Mm-hmm. (laughs) Uh... You know, I'm trying to understand this, <laughs> if I mean, that makes sense to it, me. It sounds right. Again, I don't really know, but <laughs> I don't know any pop culture that's not nerd stuff. So, um, like, I got the waterbender, and I got the waterbender thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so then who's Dumbledore and who's Harry Potter? I think that, like, that's the only other, like... Yeah, I guess Hobber would be, to me hobber is uh dumbledore and Bosch would be like um snape <laughs> okay i think that's what i would put okay. him as because like can i can that makes sense Bosh, you know like Bosch is like the quieter like getting stuff done guy uh-huh. and dumbledore, dumbledore is like ooh, look at me <laughs> look at all the things i can do that's well, what hobber sure does. Imitation of dumbledore. <laughs> did you put your name in the couple of Fire? <laughs> it's so dramatic <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, Haber sold his machine to BASF, um, and honestly, Haber had his doubts on the ability to, like, scale it up. He thought that they wouldn't be able to do it, but he was like, I don't care, I'm making my money, so I'm gonna move on to other stuff. Um, and Bosch started building a model that was ten times the size of hit of Haber's original two-and-a-half-foot prototype. So they're now going, like, 20 feet. Mm-hmm. Um... And so they tried to solve the problem of the catalyst first, too, um, because, you know, again, osmium is rare. So getting um, enough osmium possible, they would only be able to make about 750 tons of ammonia a year, is what they were estimating, which was not enough to make it profitable. Mm -hmm. Um, Their second option was uranium. Um, But uranium was also really rare um, and really sensitive. Uh, because it lost its catalyst properties on exposure to air or water. So <laughs> any air or water. yeah. The uranium was a goner. <laughs> yeah. Um, so all in Mistosh um, was the guy who was put in charge of finding a catalyst. He tested platinum, palladium, iridium, ruthenium, and on and on and on. And so um, they even retested iron. Um, even after Ostwald's failure with his iron catalyst, um, they found that metallic iron didn't do anything. And so that, that kind of was the thought at the time was that they needed to, like, that pure metals were things that were catalytic. Like, so you need, like, a pure metal to do a catalytic thing. Like, they never mm-hmm. thought that a mixture of any kind or, like, other compounds could do catalysis. Um, we now know that we can. But at the time, like, that's why they're testing all these metals was because that's what they thought would work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but now they're, they ran out of metals, <laughs> So they decide they're going to start testing minerals that contained metals. Um and so, most of the iron compounds did nothing, but they found one sample of magnetite. Uh, magnetite is um, a brock made of iron and oxygen um, from northern Sweden that works like magic. Like, um, magnetite from other regions did not work. Just this one from northern Sweden. And so, they figured out that there was some sort of other element in the mineral that was doing this, right? I mean, because that's got to be... Yeah. That's got to be what happened. Um so Mittosh started making mixtures of pure iron with other things to see if he could make a catalyst that would work. Um, eventually, it was found that iron mixed with aluminum oxide and calcium worked as well as oxide, or as well as osmium. Um, yeah. And so it's cheaper. it's a lot cheaper. I mean, those ingredients are way cheaper mm-hmm. um, and more abundant, right? Like, you can—aluminum oxide, calcium, and iron. Like, that's super common stuff, mm-hmm. all of it. Um, the only negative was the catalyst could be poisoned by sulfur or chlorine gas. So, um, which is a lot better than air or water, <laughs> but still like, cause they were working with, um, you know, nitrogen gas and, and hydrogen gas, um, and those could get poisoned by chlorine or, um, sulfur. Like that's mm-hmm. where the poisoning would come from was from the gases they were inputting. Um, And so this really created, like, a new era of catalysis, because, like I said, they only thought, like, pure metals, pure elements could act as catalysts. They never thought to mix them together before this. Um, Yeah, and so now they were like, oh, great, we could do mixtures. Um, And so, like, chemistry-wise, like, that opened a huge door Mm -hmm. to, like, other things. Um, Yeah, and now it's, like, a whole class I can take (laughs) on all the different catalysts that are out there, like... um, and there's like a whole, a whole field of it now mm-hmm. of, of coming up with catalysts. Like even my research group does stuff about catalysis. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't work on that project, but, um, yeah, like we're technically part of the catalyst. I forget what they. Each like little research group gets like put into like a category. We're mm-hmm. like we're like radiochem and, and catalysts. Yeah. That's our group, <laughs> and like super mega like and super molecular chemistry, which is like a new. A new fancy thing we're also in Very that fancy. what does that even mean super chemistry? so essentially like there's covalent interactions right like uh uh-huh. the covalent bonds um i remember that word <laughs> where they share electrons yeah um but there's also non-covalent interactions um we call them like intermolecular forces if you're familiar with that kind of term but it's essentially like Like, um, electrostatics, so, you know, if you have something that's positively charged and negatively charged, they attract each other, Mm -hmm. right? So, like, molecularly, that's happening. Um, so, um, you can do that where it has, like, pre-assembly, you can can have, like, structures that assemble themselves in certain patterns because of this, uh, electrostatic force. Okay. Um, is this my basic explanation somebody out there is screaming at that explanation <laughs> um. i mean i don't really understand what it means so to me i'm like that sounds fine yeah well like so you know how like water molecules um interact with each other right like the hydrogen on oxygen attract each other on different molecules of water mm-hmm. and hold it together right mm-hmm. um that interaction but like in other it's it's essentially studying those kinds of interactions okay um you know, hydrogen bonding um, is one, and there's there's other types of bonding interactions that. But yeah, anyway. Okay. <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> you shouldn't. You... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I I. <laughs> there were people like, oh, I believe you because you clearly know more than me, and like you probably shouldn't. You should probably look it up for yourself, but. Yeah, that's. I, I have a tendency to do that too, where I just talk about things, and because I, I speak of it in such a certain way, people just tend to believe me. Yes. Oh, that's 100%. Happens to me all the time. Yeah. Sometimes, say, I mean, you say whatever you want with confidence and people just believe you. Absolutely. It happens. I love to do it sometimes and just mess with people, like, with things that don't matter. I yeah. don't lie to people about important things, but just, especially when I was younger, though, it was, I was a real menace. Like, as a child, <laughs> I convinced another child that, like, you can um, create, like, human-animal hybrids. I was like, oh, yeah, that's absolutely possible. You can make, like, a human-zebra Um, and I said it with enough confidence that I made another little girl cry. (laughs) You're a menace. I was, I was very little, to be fair, but I was like, I don't know why everyone, it was one of those situations where, like, don't listen to me. I don't know why you believe me. Yeah. You guys are dumb, that's your fault. (laughs) Yeah, I was quite a menace. I'm just making it up. Um, (laughs) anyway, however... Uh, you know, they, they have this new new uh, catalyst. Mm-hmm. So yeah, as they're testing this catalyst and and they have that figured out, that's a kind of like separate to the machinery. So they simultaneously worked on improving the machinery, and so they had twenty small one foot reactors going um, at a time in a sealed bunker of our ar- that was armored, um, and then. And, yeah, with the reactors behind metal and concrete so that if one of them exploded, they wouldn't have to stop working. (laughs) So the engineers would, like, basically they would, like, have all these going for as long as they possibly could. Mm -hmm. One of them would explode. The engineers would come in, take a look at the broken machines, like an autopsy, and figure out what what broke. Mm -hmm. And then would improve the machine one component at a time. I mean, that's one way to do it, I guess. Yeah, just freaking bulk method of, yeah. like, having 20 machines going at the time. Um, and then by the time Mitosh had the catalyst, um, it's now, um, January of 1910, and it really became clear that Haber was, like, not going to be helping <laughs> with this project. <laughs> he was like, I'm done with this. Um, um and Haber was good with that, he had his assured income, um... And now he just wanted to, like, publish. So he asked BASF if he could publish his initial design with the old catalyst. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, they had now moved on to a different catalyst and um, some different designs. Um, as long, and they were like, okay, that's fine. Just don't, don't talk about the new stuff. Uh-huh. So in 1910, Haber gave a speech entitled Making Nitrogen Usable. Um, and experts were, like, super excited about this, and Haber had so many requests for copies of his speeches that he ran out. So, like, back in the day, wow. when you gave a speech, you would, like, bring copies of your uh-huh. written speech and, like, hand it out to press members, and so he ran out. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. He brought his merch and he sold out. <laughs> <laughs> um... And then, like BASF was like, "Oh, it's good that you ran out. Um, You should really like keep this quiet (laughs) as much as possible." They were like, "Maybe, maybe we shouldn't tell everybody." Yeah, but of course, it was too late. The the cat was out of the bag on that one. But um, Haber considered himself a scientist first, and so he then tried to find um, a new position. And he found a position as the founding director of the Kaiser Wilhelm Wilhelm Institute for Physical Sciences and or Physical Chemistry and Electrochemistry. Um, there were, like, a bunch of Kaiser Wilhelm Institutes, so there's Kaiser Wilhelm Institute for chemistry, physics, Mm -hmm. there was quite a few of them, um, and he got this specific one. Um, in 1911, he left for Berlin, and he left BASF, and nitrogen fixing, and so now, from now on, it is all Bosch, like, he, Mm -hmm. he doesn't, Haber doesn't really have anything else to do with it. Um, yeah, and then- So that's the forgot about Dre moment, where- Dr. Dre stops making songs, like, writing his own rap. I mean, he still, like, write his own raps and stuff, but he stopped really making albums. Hmm. That's, I'm just like, where are we in the timeline of this (laughs) rap thing that I know? Yes. Um, yeah. Bosch focused on the next problem, which was, like, input gases, so... Does he ever then later write a letter to Haber to be like, hey, can you come back? I don't think so. No. Just because there's a there's another Eminem song, um, I need a doctor where he's like begging Dr. Dre to come back and make music again. Mm, no, that doesn't definitely doesn't happen. Um, yeah, Hopper goes on to um, make chemical weapons, so he goes on yeah. to a whole other thing. Um, but yeah, Bosch wanted to make his input gases for the thing really pure because this new catalyst was sensitive to that poisoning. I was you know the, yeah. the sulfur and chlorine gas. Um nitrogen was easy apparently because the problem had been solved by the Guinness Brewing Company. Nice. <laughs> um, they needed refrigeration to keep their ale, ale cold. Um, and so they had a German inventor, and I could not find his name anywhere, make them one. Um, and so he went, this guy apparently went so above and beyond, he made a refrigerator so good it could liquefy air. Wow. <laughs> so they were like, great, done. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, you need a refrigerator? <laughs> have a refrigerator. I'd have a refrigerator for you. <laughs> um, but He's yeah. like, say less. <laughs> but then by, you, once you have the liquid air, you can like carefully warm it, um, and you can selectively purify oxygen and nitrogen. Yeah. Is that like what's in a oxygen tank? No, Honestly. oxygen tanks are... Um, Just the gas? It's a compressed gas, yeah. No, okay. liquid oxygen is actually really dangerous. You do not want to have liquid oxygen around. Um, it's very explosive. Oh, okay, that's fun. Yeah, because if you ever work, liquid nitrogen is colder than liquid oxygen, so uh, you actually have to be careful that you don't condense oxygen in your liquid nitrogen. How would you do that? So if you had like a had a container of it that was open to air, um, oxygen from the atmosphere just like condenses into your nitrogen, so you have to keep it all covered. Oh, is it liquid nitrogen the thing that they use to make something really cold really fast? Yes. So how does it not mix with the air then? I'm confused. So as long as you do, like, as long as you have a good container for it, and as long as you do it quickly enough, it evaporates faster, than the oxygen's gonna condense, if that makes any sense. Okay. Because, like, also it has... If um, you did it in, like, an open area, then the oxygen's not gonna condense. But if you did it in, like, a small... Right, so if you had, like, a small... Like, I've put it in, like, a test tube size, Uh and I've condensed oxygen... Like I bubbled air into it to condense oxygen uh-huh. um, for something very like just to like show people once what happens. What happens? Because it turns a blue color, and so like that if you see that blue color on accident, that's gonna explode. You should leave. Okay. Yeah, because like that's that's the that's the safety procedure. You condense liquid oxygen. You just leave <laughs> and call the fire department usually. Um, Or I probably would call safety first because I don't know if the fire department could actually handle that. I don't know. But I would call safety and be like, who do I need to call? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. And then so they needed to get hydrogen gas. And the way to get hydrogen gas is through uh, water. You actually get it from water. Um, So you blow steam over hot graphite. And so, yeah, blowing steam over glowing hot graphite. But I guess this also had carbon monoxide. Like, oh. it made carbon monoxide, I think, which was, bad. which was dangerous to the workers, so they tried to clean it out of the gas using a copper-containing solution, um, but it turns out that that corrodes iron, that solution corrodes iron, which is what all kind their machines the are of her, made of. Yeah. <laughs> so, eventually, they found out that if they added just, like, a little bit of ammonia to the mixture, it would not corrode the iron. So, they're, like, okay. like going piece by piece trying to get this thing to work. Um... Bosch now had a design for the machine that um, had a design machine, the machine that could handle ten times the pressure for the steam train en- and then the steam train engine. Like they tried to, they have to make the actual vessel that mm-hmm. does this reaction now and make it gigantic, um, massive instant pot. Yes, a massive instant pot. And so Bosch and his team of engineers not for making delicious roast beef. No, for making delicious chemicals to be used for explosives yes uh not delicious things you should not eat (laughs) i mean it might be delicious have you ever tried it before you you never know i have not tried it i have smelled ammonia and it does not smell good that is true um so i do not think you should want to eat it um but yeah so they consult like cannon experts they look at diesel gas and steam engines uh they even learned about the Bessemer process, which is also really cool. That's how you make steel. Um and it makes it made stronger steel. Um and so slowly over the years, again, they're making incremental improvement. Um yeah. And so even though they weren't really perfect, Bosch was like, "I'm refusing to wait any longer. We're going to we're going to open this thing now." Mm-hmm. Um, and so they made two uh, steel cylinders. They were eight feet tall, um, which in- with inch-thick walls that were made by a German cannon company called Krups. Um And they were heated from the outside with giant uh, gas flames. Like, they had flamethrowers planned <laughs> this thing, basically. Um, and reinfor- they reinforced all of it with concrete. <laughs> So, they started these giant reactors, and Bosch looked on safely from behind a wall of concrete. <laughs> like, is it assistance? Um, lighting, you know, lighting the, the that, giant Yeah, flames? it's gonna be right over here, smoking a cigarette. I'm gonna watch, though. So yeah. I'll peek an eye around. You, you guys got it, right? Um... <laughs> but, um, you know, it does work, though, so ammonia starts to flow out of the reactors. Um... They worked, but not as well as they needed. You know, they wanted them to, but they did work. Um, three days later, they both exploded. Fun. <laughs> Who could have predicted? Who could have known? <laughs> but yeah, Bosch had them examined because that's like their process. Like it explodes, you look at you look at the poor corpse uh-huh. and then find out why it exploded. Um, they found autopsy. Yes, they found like all the fittings and joints were fine. Um, It was the inch-thick steel walls that had failed. Which, you know, like, usually when a machine explodes, it's at one of the joints, right? Yeah. And so they're like, well, what the heck happened? And so after some testing, the inside of the walls were becoming brittle over time. And then then it would burst. Um, And so at first they thought it might have been iron nitride forming in the reactor. Because iron nitride was brittle. But there was no evidence of that. Like, they tested the material. It's not that... Um, and then they discovered that the areas where the cracks were had less carbon than the rest of the steel. So, like, the area that was, um, getting exploded was, like, pure iron. hmm Or more pure iron, obviously. It's still steel, but, like, you know, steel is an alloy made of carbon and iron. Yeah. And so iron by itself is relatively soft and usually more likely to fail, but what they were finding was that it was not... It's not becoming softer, it's becoming brittle, right? You know, like, soft is like Play-Doh. Yeah. Brittle is it's like... too hard. Yeah, it's like too hard. Yeah. Um... It doesn't have enough, like, give to it. Exactly. You know, like... Because if you have something that's flexible, it's not gonna give. Yeah. But it's... It's you- like when your fingernails get too brittle and they start breaking. Yeah, exactly. Um... And so what they ended up finding out is the hydrogen gas was somehow getting pushed into the metal and reacting to form a new brittle compound. It's a, pr- it's a pressure cooker. That's- exactly. And, but, and no one has ever had pressure this high before. Yeah. So they had no idea that this was even possible. And mm-hmm. the chemical process of this had never been seen before because we never had pressures high enough to do it. Yeah. Um, and so the team was left with two options. Because they're like, like, how do we fix this? (laughs) uh, Because a big problem with pressure cookers is if, like, you don't know how to use it and you try to open it before releasing the steam, Mm -hmm. it will explode. Like, really? (laughs) Well, I mean, it doesn't, like, explode all the way, but, like, the food inside explodes. Oh. Like, when it opens, it'll, like, like, it mean you... There's a bunch of, like, kind of hilarious, silly pictures of people using... Trying to use pressure cookers. (laughs) Um, And then you just see, like the lid and spaghetti sauce all over the ceiling just kind of lodged ah. into it. See, I don't mean People really do have, p- like, busted their whole stoves up improperly using pressure cookers. Yeah, I've seen pictures like that. Yeah. I didn't know that that was why. I assumed there, something had gotten clogged. But it's because they tried to open it too fast? Sometimes, or maybe they don't. Like, they put too much—a lot of times it's because they put too much food in there. Oh, okay. Or they don't, like, they just don't know how to use it. They mm-hmm. heated it too much, like. That's yeah. why the Instant Pot is so popular. Like it's the same concept because pressure cookers have been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming since this thing they started being like, oh, we can just cook in these things. But yeah. you know, um, I'm assuming that's where it came from. I don't know because pressure cookers are, are a much lower pressure. Like yeah, but I think the still the concept of it. Yeah, all I'm saying is the concept of a pressure cooker might be older because these are these are really yeah. high pressure. you yeah. know, so like the the pro- that might be older. I don't know. Yeah. Um, because my, uh, my grandma has a pressure cooker, but it's just, like, a pot. Mm-hmm. Um, I have one for canning. Yeah. So I, I never cook any, like, food in it, but, yeah. like, I guess technically I'm cooking food in it, but you know what I yeah, mean. Yeah, but, you know, you have to, like, there's specific things that you have to have so it doesn't explode, like, and break the glass and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, because, um, yeah, and Ryan, Ryan won't use it. Ryan, my fiancé, he will yeah. not use it because he's terrified. Yeah. <laughs> he is terrified of that thing. Yeah. <laughs> Understandably. It's, it's, it's a heavy um, piece of machinery. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just making nice, lovely jams. Uh, yes. Well, so with jams, you can actually make them in a boiling canner, though. You don't have to pressure oh, okay. can those. Because um, there's boiling so water. Pressure canning. You pressure can um, meats. Okay. Meats and veggies. Any anything that's not acidic, you have to pressure can. If it's acidic, you can water bath can it. Okay. So you can water bath can pickles or stuff like yeah. That. Or for any most kinds of fruit. So you're just like preserving chicken and stuff. Yeah, actually, I can them, and then we keep some of the jars, and then we donate some of the jars to um, East Lubbock Art House. Oh, okay. Um, Because, like, I don't know if you've ever seen, but canned chicken is very expensive, like, to buy canned chicken from the store. I've never bought canned chicken. I've never thought about it. Oh, well, it's very expensive, because when I go to the store, I just buy a little pack of of stuff to bring to East Lubbock Art House, Uh Um, and I was like, oh, you know, protein. Yeah. And... Yeah, I was like, canned chicken, that seems good. Like, do they make... I didn't know yeah. they made that, but they do. And I was like, this is very expensive, though. <laughs> I wonder if you could make your own Spam. Probably. I do love Spam. I don't see why not. Um, we returned to the machine and it exploded because the iron became too brittle. Yes. So, 1910. There weren't, there weren't many materials strong enough or common enough to make giant reactors out of. Wow. So, you know, platinum and other stuff is, like, too expensive... So, they tried to, like, make other alloys with molybdenum, tungsten, chromium, and other, like, to try to make another kind of thing like steel. But no matter what metal it was, the hydrogen left it all brittle. Like, Mm -hmm. any metal, it's going to get brittle, really. Um, And so, they ended up figuring out, you know, like, out of the blue, they thought about it. You know, Bosch had this idea. What if they made a liner? Because the liner could be disposable, right so like once the hydrogen like when you're using a crock pot and you buy those plastic liners yes so you have to it. <laughs> yes exactly once it gets gross you just pull it yeah. out put a new one in um you solved the idea um <laughs> yeah and then you could use cheaper that some cheaper sense. material yeah. um let it grow a little, rip it out put a new liner start again um and so now the only worry was um about hydrogen build- building up between the liner and the walls, right? Because you don't want mm-hmm. you don't want the hydrogen gas in the walls, I <laughs> Um yeah, so they're worried about it build- building up pressure, right? Yes. And so yeah, Bosch the- has another like a breakthrough where they were like, let's just put little tiny holes in the outside that would let the hydrogen slowly leak out that it doesn't build up pressure. Okay. Is that what you want, though? I know, it's very counterintuitive, but honestly, it works. Huh. They're just very tiny little holes in this big reactor. Um, so the ovens are now stable for, like, weeks and months at a time uh. instead of three days. Um, and so the team went back to, like, perfecting the machines and making them as efficient as possible. Um, and in 1911... BASF and Bosch were turning out two tons of ammonia a day, and by the end of 1911, the ovens were reliable for long periods of time, um, making ammonia cheaper and cheaper um, than any other fertilizer, because these other fertilizers have to be shipped, right? Uh Uh-huh. So BASF now um, powered ahead to make the world's first artificial ammonia plant in Opau, Germany. Um, So they can grow things now in Germany. Yes. I mean, they could grow things before, but it was much more expensive. (laughs) So, the last tragedy of this episode... um, Tragedy. I'm being... It's not really a tragedy. (laughs) But uh, in September of 1911, all the BASF patents got sued for nullification by a competing firm. So, a competing chemical company was like... um, The company was called Hosch. And they... Um, basically said that what Haber came up with was not novel, because Ostwald had done it first, Mm -hmm. and Nernst had done it first. But he didn't do it right. Exactly. Er, It was really Nernst, because, like, Nernst kind of came up with the idea of this, and they're basically Uh saying, like, the catalyst isn't special enough. Like, you know, like, other people had done this first. This isn't novel. This isn't special. You can't patent the process. Um, And then right in the same year in december of that same year heinrich von Brump dies so like their head of the company dies yeah. they're getting sued um and the future of the opal plant is like now like in danger and so um yeah they go to court and basf's bigger com- biggest competitor hosh makes the argument you know about it not being novel mm-hmm. um and, yeah, and so the lawyers for the BASF at the time had, like, nothing to come back. They were like, we are going to lose this pattern. Uh-huh. I don't know what to do here. Um, but then, very dramatically, like, all, it's an all-seems-lost uh-huh. moment. Um, and then in burst Nernst into the courtroom. So they're saying that Nernst did it first, right? Uh-huh. In comes Nernst. Um He's like, nah fam, it's all good. He's arm in arm with Haber. (laughs) And then Nernst gives this impassioned speech about how great Haber was and the advances that he had made, and that without a doubt, Haber's invention was worthy uh, of the protection of a patent. Mm -hmm. So Nernst comes in. So it's like the moment in Legally Blonde where she comes in and she's like, you took a shower? Yeah. Didn't you say you just got your hair Uh, permed? Yes. But you took a shower. Uh, yeah, uh, you know you can't w- wet your hair within 24 hours, whatever, of at risk of deactivating the, mu- the ammonium glycoculate or whatever it is. Yes, I yes. could do it better if I had recently watched the movie. But if that, if it's that it's ex- that scene. It's exactly if that, that scene. If um. If, if she had been paid off because nerds <laughs> had, had uh, just been um, hired by BASF for a five-year contract of 10,000 marks a year to be an expert consultant. we, will, we love it. <laughs> they were like, we'll we pay you. We love corruption. <laughs> we'll pay you Honestly, you that is come that that's the move, though. Yes. So, I, and honestly, like, I do think, like, that was worth a patent. Like, yeah. personally, I think it was worth a patent. Like, it wasn't him just lying but yeah. like i don't think he would have been there if they didn't pay him <laughs> um but yeah so hushed the other company lost the suit basf and Haber got to keep their patents and the opal plant opened for business in september of 1913 um and as soon as the opal plant was at full operation Bosch, always ambitious looked at expanding and so he commissioned a bigger reactor, now 20 feet tall. He had people working 24 hours a day in nine-hour shifts. Um, he built housing and trains for the workers so that they could get there and live nearby. Um, and he just... This is the start of, like, a new age of industrial high-pressure chemistry. Um, yeah. And he kept looking into the future of what else can I do with this high-pressure technology? hmm But... Then there's of course World War One on the horizon. Everyone now is like kind of reading the reading the, the the tea leaves, tea leaves, whatever. I was gonna say like text on the wall, but I don't know if that's the writing right writing on the wall. Writing on the wall. Um, and so when we start part three, we're gonna talk about how the Harbor Bosch process um, extended World War One because, like yeah. I said, it would have been six months without the yeah, haber Bosch process. Run out yes, of gunpowder or whatever they're using to. Mm-hmm but uh that's episode two hopefully it wasn't too boring of me talking no, about that. I got them. It. I was just like <laughs> the whole time I'm like okay what is this like what can I compare this to yes it's like I got Eminem I got uh what else Taylor Swift <laughs> pressure cookers Dr. Dre <laughs> roast beef uh. <laughs> but cool thank you for coming on um I appreciate it we'll come back for part three uh of the Hopper bosch process Apoptosis going mad, my liver's gonna fail. Maybe it's from the radium I use to paint my nails. Well, say you hate me, carbon date me, throw me in the sea. I'll be back with time because I'm made of Stardust and Chemistry. Of Stardust and Chemistry.